Hello and welcome to another quiet episode of What the Fuck is Wrong with You People? I'm watching The Adams Family here. And uh, I was thinking about what I said in the previous podcast. And it wasn't because I have any special feelings or concern over Rachel Dolezal when I said, you know, when, when I talked about mental health. Uh, I was going to bring her up anyway in another podcast, and so I decided, well, this will be the podcast. You know, I wasn't sure if it, I was going to talk about mental health first or Rachel Dolezal first. In fact, I think I mentioned it in one of my previous podcasts, which may or may not have been taken down. Um, it's basically, what the fuck is wrong with you people mental illness? And a lot of people that I have to blame for the portrayal of mental illness uh, are writers. Writers for comic books, writers for Hollywood. There's one particular writer that I've had weird kind of arguments with on Twitter. And I'm not going to mention his name. Um, I actually really like his writing. But no matter what I post, he always posts some sort of argument and condescending shit towards me, right? So, I mean, no matter what, I mean, he's never going to like me for whatever fucking reason. Um, granted, I I have corrected him, but uh, I've corrected him politely. Um, maybe he just thinks I'm too direct. Maybe that's why he got fed up with me. Um, and no matter where I post, he posts some sort of bullshit um but uh a very talented writer very intelligent has a lot of you know friends um has absolutely no concept of mental health portrayals or psychological study and he isn't alone And it's a huge, huge problem where people seem to lack any sort of knowledge of mental health, mental stability, mental care, mental understanding. And it's fed into this idea in society that somehow people know what things are just based off of what they have seen through informal entertainment. And all of a sudden, they're an expert on mental health. Like if you just show someone some careness and understanding, and they don't understand what careness and understanding means. And when I talked about Rachel Dolezal, I said, you know, she may, she may have uh, an issue, right? And others may have issues. And she needs someone to, and I 
you know, I mean, I said it. I said, you know, show her some care. Somebody needs to care enough about her to try and get her some help, right? And when people mock her, it's really pretty fucking pretty kind of terrible. And I don't mean it's terrible on her. What I mean is it's terrible. As in, it's a pretty fucking shitty way for society to show people with mental health disorders whether or not she has one, she appears to possibly have one. Um, you know, or like I said, who, who the fuck do I, what the fuck do I know? It might be a heaven can wait situation where a black woman actually entered the body of Rachel Dolezal, right? Uh, who the fuck knows, right? But I, I'm kind of going to side on the idea of a mental health issue because she, to this day, I mean, she's living in poverty, nearly homeless or actually is homeless. I didn't understand the article because the the um, reporter was kind of jumping around in the article. Um, and she still sticks to the idea of, I'm a black woman in a white woman's body. Now, that is some serious... That's some serious... Th type of commitment going on. And usually people don't typically harm their own life or their own success... Is I mean, other people will harm other people's life and success, and then it, it, it's too much. But no, she harmed her own life, and she harmed her own success by stating and committing to this belief. That's why I say there's a good chance that something's not right. People don't do that to themselves if something isn't right. Now, there could be a number of something isn't rights, like a, an item list of things that are not right in a person's life. It could be a mental issue. It could be a social issue. It could be a familial issue. It could be a physical issue. But this podcast is about mental issues, mental health. There is a, a real problem in this world, specifically in this particular country, with views on mental health. And a lot of it is traced directly to uh, 70s and 80s, especially to Reagan's destruction of the mental care Uh, structure in in our in our federal and and um, in our federal system and uh, and our state systems and organizations have this problem too. It doesn't matter if they're Christian, Christian or non-Christian, or uh, Catholic or not Catholic, or atheist or not atheist. It doesn't fucking matter what they are. Or liberal or conservative. It doesn't fucking matter. It's a widespread problem. The first thing is caring for someone. Especially in our judicial system. 
caring for someone doesn't mean you stop and listen to them like a Family Ties Doogie Howser crossover of, I understand you, I hear you, I, I believe your accusation, I believe your, uh, your views, I believe your statement, I'm going to believe in you and I'm going to take immediate action for you. No! The person is fucking crazy. That's the wrong thing to do. Caring is, I see that there is a problem. There's a problem. You can see there's a problem. I think it needs to be investigated by someone who actually knows how to investigate things. I'm going to ask somebody who actually knows about mental health to get involved because I recognize I am not a mental health in individual. I am not an expert. I am not trained in that. That's the proper response. That's the actual caring response. The response, the first response is someone who believes that they're a professional. Unless they actually are a fucking professional or are an investigator, they need to get their fucking asses out of the situation. The other issue is the whole idea of families have to be able to take care of their loved ones. Okay. Five out of six families, nine out of ten families, doesn't fucking matter. The ratio is always the majority, whether it's 90%, whether it's 51%, are not capable of taking care of somebody who is mentally ill. And there are two major reasons why. The first... I am so sorry about that. You heard a huge ding just now. Don't worry. It's not your cell phone. It's not your messenger. It was mine. And I'm too fucking lazy to cut that out. Because I'm doing this on my phone. So, uh... <laughs> And I don't want to repeat it, you know, and if this were another podcast, I would repeat what I was saying, but I actually said some things that I don't think I can remember properly in the right order. So, sorry for that, Dean. I'm very sorry. So, uh, anyway, um, the two major issues for someone who, uh, or for reasons why someone who is related to someone else cannot care for that person. One, because they're family! I'm sorry I yelled that. I probably blew your fucking eardrums out. I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult your eardrums there. Um, family members have different relationships than patient and, uh, uh, you know, um, caregiver relations. And that's because patients will start feeling resentful. Caregivers will start feeling resentful. Personal things will come up in fights and in arguments that even people who are mentally ill, when they're dealing with a stranger, they will not cross a barrier. See, a family barrier is different than a professional barrier or a society barrier or a stranger barrier. And I don't mean blood relation. Anybody can be family 
Family cannot care for another person unless they are very good or unless both people agree that it is the best course of action. And that, again, depends entirely on both people. Under no circumstances can someone with severe forms of violent dementia be cared for by a family member without serious fucking problems happening. And a lot of that goes with friendships too. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. I said under no circumstances. I should retract that. It's not impossible. Under very, very, very few circumstances. I mean, it's very, it's like one in 10,000, one in 20,000. It's extremely difficult once one of those people becomes so unstable, violently unstable. And I don't mean physically violently unstable. I mean mentally violently unstable, where their emotions are just that of violence or hatred or resentment. And you have these fuck-headed writers who go off talking about, well, the family didn't care for them. Fuck you, you fucking cunts. And yeah, I said a C word because that's the only way to describe those types of situations. In some of these movies, it, it because they these writers, when they do that, they perpetuate this idea that it's the family's fault. They are fucking stupid. Sometimes it's the family's fault. But in a lot of cases, it's because of that barrier which prohibits the two of those individuals, types of individuals, from actually functioning in a way where care can be given to the individual that needs it. That's the first fucking problem. The second problem, or problem 1A, I should say, family member who's caring for the other family member fucking dies or is incapable of doing it anymore through any reason out of their control. And what happens to the person who is depending on that family member when society was offering no fucking support? Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you, you fucking writers who keep perpetuating that fucking bullshit. You're not a fucking educated person in that field who can make those fucking declarations. This isn't specifically with the writer that I had an argument with. The writer I had an argument was a totally different argument and was about, uh, you know, profiling and presenting certain mental things. Um, 
Still love that writer. Not going to mention by name. Not going to mention the argument. Uh, don't want people searching him up. Don't want people fighting. Writer's a, a great person. The you know I still love I still love their work. I don't care if they think that I'm you know an ass. I still love their work. I think they're a decent person. Um, but other writers, other writers have done that sort of shit. Other writers have. I can't, I, I don't interact with them, even if I like their other stuff. It, it, they fucking piss me off to the core because they have produced shit that no one should have produced because it gives a false, I mean, it's, it's a form of fucking propaganda in order to justify coming down on people other than the actual fucking society, the whole society, social view of who actually is in need of the most help or who deserves the criticism. And this is a real fucking problem here because the people who are mentally ill, I mean, it's not their fault. It, the it may be a biological fault. And by biological fault, what I mean is uncontrollable, un, uh, unregulatable, or is something, I don't know what word I'm trying to make. I'm, I'm Sarah Palin here, making up fucking words here. I, it's an unregulated, chaotic mess of chemicals in their body that is the source of the problem. And of course, because it's in their body, they're suddenly uh, at fault. Now, they may be fault for things that they do to an extent. And there's a lot of forms of mental illness. And I'm not saying that people with severe mental illness who go out there raping kids, I'm not saying that they're not at fault. They are clearly fucking at fault because there's a point at which that person has made a conscious decision, you know, and... and to conceal or continue those activities. Because it's especially, it's hard to describe um, because I'm not a professional, but I've had conversations with professionals. And when someone is crazy or ill, they aren't crazy or ill all the time, or it's rare that they are all the time. Or maybe they are totally at mercy to their biological chaotic mess that's in their body. They're, they're totally at mercy to that. That they cannot be treated as individuals with the capacity for rational thought. And then you have the fucking drug companies who prey on this, who try out new drugs without actually really trying to get some of the drugs right. This is this is now into a con that section of the conversation with pharmaceuticals is a section that I would have to I really would have to go in and do some more research again to bring it up. All I know is that there have been a, more than a few exposés on drug companies intentionally prescribing the wrong types of drugs for a number of reasons. One, some do it for profit. Two, some do it because the drugs can actually, the, the individual can actually gain an immunity 
to the effects of the drugs. And so they have to constantly cycle in and out, in and out, in and out. And some pharmaceutical companies are at fault for doing bad things in relation to it. Others are actually struggling to do the right thing. But because of how our bodies react chemically, it's incredibly difficult to keep someone from being at the mercy of their biology all the time. It depends on the ailment, depends on, on what's going on, depends on the drug. So I mean, this is like a broad discussion here. All right. So this is this is all about uh, you know caregivers and everything. And you got another buzz buzz that appeared in in the thing. Sorry about that. Um. And the second the second thing is so uh, you know the first thing I, I go through this point point one point one a and and it kind of you know, covers the whole situation. Let's say that the two individuals are sane enough or capable enough of hooking up together their family members, whether or not it's biological family or, uh, you know, extended family, people who are essentially family. I, as far as I'm concerned, my friend, uh, a lot of my friends, they, they are just part of, they are my family. They're closer to me than anyone who's related in any other way. So I, when I say family, I mean people like that. Let's go on to point number two of why family members shouldn't get together. Um, Oh, I think I did that. Yeah. Um, family members who, uh, yeah, something happens. Something happens to them. Uh, maybe something happens to the person who needs care. Or money. You know, fuck the poor, right? They need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. While they're struggling with voices talking to them and telling them what to do. They just need willpower. So the other problem besides family members, uh, you know, the other problem with how things are presented and how things are happening. Let me just move it on. I'm sorry, sometimes I, I just digress so much. I, I, the other problem, this is, this is extremely difficult to address because people will say, oh, you're calling such and such group such and this or such and such group that. No, 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 no. There are some social or biological groups who expressly omit or their silence is is at a level that you can't imagine on this topic like I, I can't I can't if there were a scale I don't know how to create the scale and I mean there are groups for I guess you could say white people or uh, stuff like that. 
uh, or groups for minorities or groups for, um, you know, African-Americans or whatever. They know that there is some sort of mental health or behavioral health issue in a community that they often go into to help. Or that they speak for. And they push out propaganda that there is no such thing as any sort of mental issue. There's no mental issue in this community. It's just attack on us or on our people. They do that so they can put themselves on a springboard or a pedestal. As the representative of this group of people. And people in that group feel shame or feel like they don't need to seek any sort of behavioral or mental support. Okay? Some groups have a little bit higher risk than others. And it could be for any number of reasons. And I will attempt to give the, you know, examples here in no way, shape, or form am I saying that these people are crazy or this group is crazy. All right. Let's talk about some fundamentalist groups out there. The religious speaking in tongues. The possessed by demons. Now, I believe that faith will sometimes help people with mental or behavioral health issues. Alcoholics Anonymous is a group for addicts that preaches faith as a way of giving, giving your will to someone else. Therefore, you don't feel the stress of the pressure of constantly making the right decision all the time. And whatever you think about religion, there is a real scientific benefit to how that giving up a will your or your will power or whatever to another individual and to something bigger than yourself. There is a way that that works in the minds of a lot of people. And, uh, it's not just Alcoholics Anonymous that fosters that idea. Uh, hypnotists also foster that idea. People who can trick their own mind into believing something has more power than they do are essentially hacking their subconscious. They're hacking their own behavior and mental health and stability. As if they were a computer program. And sometimes it works. Alcoholics Anonymous would not exist today if their program didn't work. You could argue that it is a type of 
cultist functionality. And that is sort of true in the idea of being able to hack your own mind and belief system to following something without needing to consciously fight to follow it. Cultists actually do that sort of thing to trick people into doing bad things, right? Not all religions are cults or use that to prey on people. But it is a sort of communication process that can be exploited for good or for evil. Hypnotism hacks into that process and utilizes that process to help people. More often than I, I mean, I actually believe that, you know, I don't think it's actually possible to hypnotize to get people to jump off uh, buildings or anything else like that. Uh, although some people argue that cultists, cults can actually do that. Well, that's usually with drugs or some sort of other stimuli. Um, interrogation is a similar type of process. Some groups actually try to address the issue. Other groups, there are groups that try to claim that there is no issue. So what they do is they create a blind. Groups that deal with reservations are Indian councils, Indian tribes. I'm talking American Indian here. A number of them, I won't say all, but a number of them deny that there's any sort of mental health issue with people on reservations. And they do it because they say, oh, that attacks minorities. We aren't crazier than anyone else. We're not going to offer these programs. It costs too much. You guys are lying. You just are coming down on us. The social and economic and racism those types of hardships these hardships are causing or exasperating mental health issues there is a problem with a lot of inner city violence at fox news loves to say what about black on black crime and then progressives say stop using that you racist and then uh, you know, I say, alt, uh, I mean, you know, like far left liberals. And why far left liberals? I mean, the people who are, who jump on something without thinking. I actually think I'm pretty hardcore progressive myself. But the problem is, there really is a problem with black on black crime, with violence in the black community. That's actually a behavioral and mental health issue that has been caused by systemic forms of racism and oppression. And the perception of oppression when, in some instances, where there may not be oppression. I won't forget one friend I had. She was, she was one of my best friends for a couple of years. Black woman. Grew up in inner city. I couldn't say a fucking thing that even remotely sounded like something a racist person has used with her. That was an alarm. 
Sorry. It's a 40-minute thing. I'm not going to edit it. I'm totally unprofessional. I'm unprofessional. And I'm proud of it. So, example with uh, my friend. Any fucking thing. Any fucking thing. And it could be a ben- uh, the, the most... In fact, it almost always was. Uh, the most benign thing that even when you're looking at things saying, Oh, well, that's racist. I, I mean, I, I've even sent, sent copies of my chat log to... Some of my other friends say, dude, well, is there something racist in here? And they say, I have no idea what the fuck she was going on about. But I, I, it took me a long time to realize this. Long after our friendship was dissolved over a fight of, I can't even remember what, it, it was, it was oh God, it, I, I can't remember. But it, it was basically along this topic. It finally got to a point where she... She thought everything was racist. But one of the specific instances that I can remember, I can't even remember what her last fight was about. God damn. Okay, so one specific instance, it was when I said, oh boy, that is some crazy shit. I was actually offering her some support in whatever she said. She said, boy, First time I found out the word boy was used in the South as a racist connotation. I grew up with, oh boy, an exasperated thing. Now, I get it. If I had been calling her boy, hey boy, yeah, that's fucking racist, right? I actually had to show her a clip from Quantum Leap. Where Dr. Sam Beckett says, oh boy. She literally didn't believe me. And that's because she had been conditioned by the structure of racism where she lived. That anything anyone white ever said to her along those lines was racist because she lived by fucking racist people in the South. But it's stuff like that, you know, misunderstandings, but that contribute to serious problems. She had, I, I later found out there were some other issues. And, um, I mean, I don't, I was really kind of pissed when she, in the fight where we broke up, I thought, what the fuck are you talking about? This is not what I was saying. And she went off on a, on a rant that was pretty bad. And it was like, you know, something here is wrong. But when somebody is that, has, has those many problems, and it's mostly brought on by conditioning, there needs to be some sort of outreach or outlet. There needs to be something offered by agencies like the NAACP or even the ACLU to go in there in order to offer real services.
and not counseling services of, oh, you're wrong. Oh, yes, we're going to get you some medication. But I mean, some services, uh, some services like basic community get-togethers. And in a lot of ways, the civil rights movement in the 60s, men like Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., the reason why they were so big is because they would counsel people who would speak with them. They would counsel as a group. That's a mental and behavioral health service. And there you go. Another, another thing. I'm going to have to turn those notifications off. Uh, <laughs> I am so sorry. I'm just having all sorts of dings sent to you and everything else. Um, that was me again. That ding was me. So, reverends in the black community would be behavioral and mental health specialists. And that's also why they were able to identify problems and they saw, this is systemic racism that's affecting my people. This is systemic oppression that's also affecting our white neighbors. Racism doesn't just affect the race that it's targeting. It also affects those within the race of the oppressor because then they have a different type of pressure on them to either join the group or be labeled like a traitor to the race, shit like that. Racism is a lot broader than a lot of people realize. The effects are. And so they were able to get their communities together and they were able to say, listen, we can band together. So when people shot and killed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when people shot and killed uh, you know, Malcolm, Malcolm X, they removed not a civil rights activist so much as they removed a mental and behavioral health pillar who helped people get through issues, who made them see these issues, I will make them go away. And like so many people said, who do we turn to? They don't mean just changing the laws. They mean for their own lives. Who do they turn to? You know? Uh, Mr. Rogers. Believe it or not, the man was also a civil rights and social activist. If you don't know what Mr. Rogers did, this white man, for unity in this country, you got to go out there. You got to go out there and you got to go into his biography. He was a trained psychologist. Martin Luther King Jr., he was a trained reverend. And part of that training with him was behavioral and mental well-being and health. Mr. Rogers, he was a trained psychologist, behavioral and mental well-being. And he realized that the things he learned on how to talk to, to children, that's how everybody wants to be talked to. Especially people when they're at their most vulnerable that's what, how they need to be spoken to, regardless of their age. 
when these people die, and, and he died of, of cancer, when these people were taken from our society and our community, corporations and agencies and organizations didn't put anyone else up there to take their place. Fred Rogers had to fight to make his own place. Martin Luther King Jr. had to fight to make his own place. Mal Malcolm X had to fight to make his own place. You know, Bobby Seale is still around and he's still trying to preach peace, unity. We have to condemn violence. We have to march together. The dude's still preaching it. People are treating him like he's dead. Robert Moses. Dr. Robert Moses. I call him doctor. As far as I'm concerned, he's got a PhD to me. I don't know if he does or does. And I consider him Dr. Dr. Robert Moses. That's what I consider him. He's still preaching the same stuff. News agencies don't want to fucking cover him. People within the old civil rights community don't want to cover these people. And white people... It's really difficult for white people to go out there and speak to anybody who's not white. Because white is the color of oppression in this country, specifically. I mean, I, I learned that a while ago. I mean, I mentioned that in my Rachel Dolezal, you know, uh, race-bending uh, podcast, right? And where the fuck are these organizations? I know the NAACP had a lot of problems with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because the NAACP, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they have a history of not giving a fuck. There are a lot of good things the NAACP has done, and I won't take from them, but they got a lot of history of not giving a fuck. Because they want donors, and they want to focus on just one court case and say, he's being tried for murder. You're all bad people. It's like the preacher who gives sermons of hellfire and damnation, just telling you you're a fucking loser. That's not mental health or, or, or stability. That's an assault. It's an assault on your own people if you represent a specific group. And it's an assault on other people who may not have anything to do with the guy getting killed who are trying their best to stop a guy getting killed. That's basically NAACP. That's basically ACLU. ACLU is a little bit more, you know, well, we also fought for this woman's rights here, but they seem to be focusing on just really fucking horrible stories saying our rights are being, are being violated. Donate to us and 10 cents on every dollar you give to us will actually go to help somebody. And then there's GLAD. Uh, here's a scary statistic for you. People who are LGBT typically have a higher percentage, a marginally higher percentage. It's, it's marginal enough that it's above the margin for error, but it's not so much that you can call it a massive uh, percentage. Um, I don't know what the 20%, it was like 20 or 27% greater, but I don't know what that 20 or 27% was based on. Um, I know it's not one out of every four, uh, but I think it's like 
uh, off of the percent that is has a mental or well-being illness. I think it's that type of increase. So it's like maybe a little more than 5% more higher chance of having a mental or physical issue or or illness. And it isn't that's not saying that gay people are crazy. And I'm not saying that this is some sort of justification for people like Kevin Spacey who are out there to rape little kids or, or whatever, right? But it is an issue that's well enough known and glad does fucking nothing about it. In fact, it has sort of given rise to a weird pedophilia movement in California with the recent law that re removed the restriction, a lot of legal restrictions on convictions for child molesters or statutory rape to be, well, they don't have to register as a sex offender if the victim was within nine years of them. There's no upper age limit or lower age limit. So by California law, and it's either like 18 or 19 year old, according to the California law, can have, can rape somebody 10 years younger without having that go on a sex offender or something like that, or they can get it expunged at some point. It's some fucked up law. I think there must be a caveat for, for children if they're convicted of child molestation. But at the same time, there are people 24 years old who, are, have, who have sex with 14-year-olds that now they don't have to go on a sex offenders list. Now, I get like a three-year thing. You know, like somebody who's 20, who's having a relationship with someone who's 17. You know, that's, that's close enough, I think. Someone is 18 or 17. That's close enough, I think. And people in those age group categories have been caught up in sex offender laws, and they shouldn't have been. Well, this law in California was pushed by the legislature. It seemed to be largely a bipartisan vote. Maybe not as bipartisan as I read. Uh, and I read it from fucking Huffington Post here. So it's not like I read it from Fox News or so or Breitbart News or whatever, but they, the legislature pushed it as a win for the LGBT community. They no longer have to fear demonstrating to young adolescents uh, what being LGBT means. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Glad did nothing to speak against that bill or the usage of the LGBT community in that California law. And we are talking a criminal offense that involves a mental instability here. And the LGBT community was being directly used to pass this bill that I firmly believe is being passed by the fucking movie industry. And the reason why I believe that is that there have been several major blockbusters in the last four years where the movies have been shunned 
or shut down because a member of the you know the the of the production crew of the top production crew was registered as a child molester one of them was a predator movie all right the director's best friend who was also a writer it was found out that he was a he was convicted child of and uh, you know a sex offender apparently he molested somebody who was underage i think whether they were uh, 16 or 15 or something like that and he even put in the script in a deleted scene that people have since dug up which was filmed a section where he talks about how well i think that a 16 year old is old enough to make a consensual uh uh agreement to have sex it, it's like in the middle of this fucking movie the scene has this guy who's a registered sex offender praising or supporting the idea of underage kids having sex with adults who are 20 to 30 or 30 on. It cost the studio millions. Because some, uh, a parents group actually had to find his registration on a sex offender list, right? Now... If that law was passed before that movie came out, he could have had his name removed. Nobody would have fucking known. Or let's talk about John Kay, creator of Ren and Stimpy. Fucking girls who are 14 and 16 years old having long-term relationships, sticking them on their projects. Them living in their houses. Yeah, I found out that's the real reason why Ren and Stimpy was canceled. Guy's a fucking sicko. With this type of law, because he was like 24 at the time, he would have been able to wipe it off. So it's this type of person, which actually I believe is responsible for that law. But it was, the blame was put on the LGBT community, and GLAD did nothing to address it. Because GLAD does very little within the LGBT community to address any sort of mental imbalance. Because just like with the NAACP or ACLU or any other fucking organization out there that deals with a, a special interest group, and that's not a bad word. Some special interest groups are bad. Some special inter interest groups are very good because they have a special interest in promoting someone or something. And everybody needs a help and some help with uh, their rights to keep them from from being run over by fascists, right? Well, these groups aren't doing what they need to do for mental health. And politicians are starting to buy into this. And that's my kitty saying hello. Uh, politicians are buying into this fucking Hollywood idea of, oh, I saw that on a movie. I saw, you know what? I saw how Alzheimer's really affects someone. And the writer instructed me that they're really kind and all you have to do is sit, listen, and smile. Fuck no! Let me tell you about someone with dementia. They will wake up from a sleep screaming because of a bad dream. Not screaming because they're scared, but screaming at you whether or not you're in the fucking house if you are their supposed caretaker. They will then do things like call the police on you or whatever and then claim that you did something that they dreamt about in a dream, such as they broke all the windows 
And that's it. They woke me up by breaking all the windows. And they have to be walked around by someone who isn't there to help them out, to show them that the windows weren't broken. But instead of admitting that they were wrong, that person with dementia will literally say, they must have fixed the windows before you got here. Let's talk about someone with Alzheimer's, a bad form of Alzheimer's. Anybody ever see Father Ted? Vic, girls, arse. Vic, booze, arse. And Father Jack? That's actually a form of dementia. In fact, it's, it's a part of a very serious stage in some forms of Alzheimer's. <laughs> Father Jack is a perfect example of someone with a real mental health thing. And it's kind of funny watching Father Jack do it because, I mean, well, Father Jack was actually a horrible person. His character was written as a horrible person. But at the same time, for whatever reason, the Catholic Church in that show went out of its way to make Father Jack's life a little bit easier. He was being taken care of. And as much as Father Ted kind of, even in the first season, they joked about letting Father uh, Jack kill himself. Father Ted was there to take care of him. With all the fucking abuse that Father Jack gave to Father Ted, Father Ted couldn't just abandon Father Jack. Dougal, he's a, a you know, like, crazy kind of special type of person. Nobody knows what the fuck's wrong with Dougal, right? They actually suggest he's almost alien. In fact, when he went, when, when that actor did My Hero, a lot of people said, that explains everything about Dougal. He was really thermal man the entire time. I, I actually think that may be a legitimate fan theory. But there are people like Father Dougal that I have met in real life, and sometimes it's kind of funny. Uh, like one, one um, roommate of mom's, she'd point to mom and say, when they were in the car, she'd, after she saw mom checking all of her mirrors, she'd point to mom and say, that's the mirror I choose. Because she was trying to tell mom which mirror was best to use. Not understanding all mirrors are required for safety of functioning a vehicle. Or, I think the remote is broken. Did you check the batteries? It has batteries. There are people like that in the world. Sometimes it's fun to, you know, I'm like, ha, ha, ha. You know, because that's our society. We all make fun of each other. I make fun of myself quite a bit. Just watch me on, just listen to me on Sir Anthony Says, or S. Anthony Says. I mock myself all the time. It's also part of my Irish heritage. Irish will mercilessly mock themselves or mock others. That's, that's a relationship in Irish culture, right? But when you're talking about a serious thing, there, there's a difference between teasing somebody. And I, I even discussed that with, with S. Anthony on our last podcast. Go watch his podcast. There's a difference between being hurtful and being a little jokey. And yeah, people with, who know that they have some sort of mental illness, sometimes they're, they're jokey about it. That's fine. That's cool. You know, don't go too far. Don't go like that. But what's going on with society? What's going on with how people are actually hurting people? 
and they hurt them by either caring so much that they think that they can care for somebody or they hurt them by not giving a fuck. And when Reagan defunded everything, that's when we saw a massive rise in homelessness. That's when we saw a massive rise in black-on-black crime. Because, I mean, mental health and wellness is more than, than seeing a counselor. Pillars of society really do refer to people who keep a society together. And that's not a, a judge as a pillar of society because he is hard on crime. Pillar of society is someone that a lot of judges, a lot of prosecutors, a lot of legislators aren't and never will be. And that are people like Martin Luther King Jr., people who are counselors, sorry, another alarm, sorry, people who are counselors uh, with Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, people or, or support people. And I don't mean like people say, what is wrong with you today? I think it's your mother. She's the source of all your problems. No, what I mean by a counselor is the person who says, Hey, Jack, how's it going? Hey, let's go over here and do this. Hey, Jack, I saw you in a bar. Uh, you got a problem? No, man. No, that's all right. Hey, Jack, let's go bowling. Don't go to that bar on Thursday. Let's do a bowling team. Let's do this. That's like a counselor. That's like a support person. That's a pillar of the community. Fred Rogers is a pillar of our entire fucking society. And like nobody wants to support new people or come out because we can't, you can't say that those people don't exist anymore. Those people are being born every day. Those people exist and walk with us every day, but people, producers, whatever, they don't give a fuck. Legislators don't give a fuck. They're not sponsoring that. There's no more endowment for the arts. There's no more um, support for general um Society, care, welfare. It's like nobody in this fucking society gives a shit anymore. On a level that we need to start giving a shit. And not everyone can be Fred Rogers. Not everyone can be Martin Luther King Jr. And no matter how active you are, I mean, I know I'm never going to be um, Fred Rogers. No matter how much I want to, you know, no matter how much I've worked with kids in the past, no matter or you know, in public things like teaching kids how to draw, doing that, being supportive with my with my comic strip, being supportive with my writing, that won't. And that's not, I mean, I, I, I swear and stuff. I have a podcast called What the Fuck is Wrong With You People. I will never be a Fred Rogers. There are Fred Rogers out there, though. I've seen them on YouTubes and everything. And agents are refusing to, to help them. You know, people don't really, they say, oh, well, that's nice. And they say, but that's for kids or, or turn it off. They don't try to get involved. They don't try to have support groups. And you also see churches turning into shit like the Westboro Baptists. Fucking crap. You don't, you don't see priests speaking with their constituents anymore or trying to get involved in families. And this is, this is on all of society, right? This is on all of society. You know, and cancel culture is the exact opposite of being a pillar of the fucking community.
in a lot of ways. And like I said before, cancel culture started in the 80s and 90s. It didn't start in the 2000s. So this is going over the one hour mark. And um, I know I probably lost a lot of people in the one hour mark. I mean, this is, this is long. This is a long podcast. But there's a lot that I wanted to say. And I wanted to make it very clear to everyone. Um, supposedly all my alarms are now disabled. <laughs> so um, sorry about those alarms. Sorry about those notifications. So um, yeah. I mean, what I was saying, because this is actually, I, I cut it. Uh, basically, nobody seems to really give a fuck about supporting these supportive things, or, or these supportive people, or these supportive avenues. Nobody wants to raise their taxes to help a crazy man on the street. And um, nobody wants to make sure that judges, uh, officials, police, whatever, are have the facilities or capacity to deal with situations. Now, I've seen a lot of people yell, defund the police. Let's get, put it in the hands of social workers Social workers largely are not paid enough to be skilled people who can offer any sort of support. And social work is only going to go so far. Social work is about investigating. Uh, issues. Social work is not about funding Mr. Rogers. Social work is not about uh, making sure that there's a social worker in a court hearing where somebody may have mental uh, distress. And judges, they like to think that they are uh, capable of, of being sound judges in all things. No, they're not. Even in their... Laws have been written saying judges do not have that ability, and yet they still try and get away with it. Judges are not expert witnesses. They are not prosecutors. They are not interviewers. They are not capable of making any sort of legal or professional determination of someone's mental health or well-being. And so that's why you have people who are mentally sick either getting away with a bunch of shit or getting railroaded by a fucking monster of a prosecutor. And it is not a prosecutor's job description to make a determination of someone's mental health. And a lot of judges, this is what's even worse, a lot of judges have stricken down the mental illness defense. So it's almost impossible now to, to use mental illness defense in court because of a lot of really bad case law from judges who are allowed to make these rulings when they have no legal or professional standing to make these rulings.
and judicial oversight committees, uh, attorney oversight committees, these regulation committees, they are refusing to go after these errant judges, these errant prosecutors, these errant defense attorneys. They're refusing to go after them to punish them for abusing the law in order to railroad or um, somehow fuck with mental health laws or people who are mentally ill or people who aren't. But somehow the system has made an incorrect determination. These agencies are all part of the system that was created out of the 80s, 70s, and 80s designed to destroy mental health and wellness in this country. And a lot of times the people in these agencies, they're not guilty of going out of their way to fuck someone over. They actually think they are caring about someone, which makes the vast majority of them a bunch of fucking Karens. And this whole society has just really, really failed itself in terms of mental health. So who have I not blamed yet? I blamed Hollywood writers. I blamed Joe Q. Public. I blame legislators, I blame judges, I blame attorneys. The people who aren't to blame are people who have tried to raise this issue and tried to tell people about it. So as far as I'm concerned, this podcast is one more not a I told you so, but one more attempt that I have tried to make in order to get people to realize, stop it! Oh, I forgot one other group that I blamed, special interest groups who don't fucking give a damn. Those, I think, are the worst offenders here. Because they have a special interest in their pocketbook and not addressing their communities. I mean, the original Black Panther Party was about mental and physical wellness and well-being. No matter what you say, when, when the cops, or when the public, uh, and, and including the cops, in New York were cracking down on the Second Amendment, they hit the minority neighborhoods. So Black Panther said, listen, we are pro-Second Amendment. Cops cannot take our weapons from us. All of you should be knowledgeable in weapon ownership. All of you should have proper registration. You should know the proper use of the weapons. You should know that this is your right among others. And to some degree, this is where a lot of major progressives say, fuck you, Kevin, you're conservative. I'm not conservative. 
I do believe that the Second Amendment should exist in this country. We are not Europe. We are not Britain. We are way too fucking big. We are an industrious country that where people can literally make their own fucking guns no longer a mach- you no longer need a machinist who does custom gun- guns and I know a lot I know a lot of people who get custom guns that are built by machinists okay you can now print them out on your 3D printer so I do think that if you are a responsible gun owner I don't mind you having a gun. But that's where we get a discussion of who's a responsible owner and not. The Black Panthers, their argument was, we should have access to our weapons since we are mostly being targeted by the police. The stop and frisk bullshit was a revival of the New York crackdown on minorities where they were just taking guns out of the pockets of predominantly black men and women. And a lot of those corrupt fucking cunts in the police department, sorry, use that word again. I think it's appropriate though to describe some of those fucking pig ass pieces of shit. Because at this point, pig isn't strong enough. They were planting guns on the bodies of black men and women. If you have a registered gun, they can't do that. Because it's pretty damn easy to prove that they're corrupt pieces of shit. And the Black Panthers, Bobby Seal, they knew that. You can't say, I'm not a gun owner, I've never been. Oh, well, what have we found here? Something with fingerprints I bet will match a crime. They can't do that to someone saying, I'm a responsible gun owner, sir. I have one weapon that is locked home in my safe. I don't need to carry another weapon around with me. Cops not going to get away with that shit. They're not cops, they're pigs. Pigs who do that, they're not going to get away with that shit. Now, that's also part of the mental health and well-being thing. If someone has a major mental health problem, if they are a protected veteran because they have uh, severe trauma, they have night terrors and are prone to violence, they should not have a weapon within 50 yards of them. No veteran or not. They should not have a weapon within 50 yards of them or even in their own home. Then you come up with an idea of, well, what's safe? Well, having a gun beside him is not fucking safe. And I know that this is something that some of my friends have disagreed with me on. I'm sorry. I think that things like AR-15s I think that they need to have a special class of gun registration. I think that gun collectors should have a special class of gun registration. 
They actually do have special classes of gun registration for collectors in Britain. I found that out. I don't know the specifics, but I did find out that you do have gun collectors in Britain. You have to get a special type of permit. I, I think that that is, you know, if somebody has like 200 guns on their wall and they, they are a collector and those guns are, are, are maintained in a collector fashion or they have uh, like a museum of guns or something. Okay. I get that. And I, one of my friends actually does collect guns from a number of different eras. It's actually kind of cool. It's kind of impressive. Um, I don't own a gun. I don't know if I will ever need to own a gun. But my point is, people like that, they have a special collector's thing. All the guns are registered. They're, they're serialed. There's stuff like that. Okay, that. That's fine. That's fine for, you know, law enforcement, stuff like that. I don't think that someone who has 200 uh, AK-47s in their basement counts as a fucking gun collector, though. And I don't think that there is any need for that type of person unless they are a gun broker who's registered with the federal government. I don't believe that someone who is a mother who has no connection to the military or shooting or whatever, who has an AR-15 lying around unlocked, she doesn't go hunting. I don't think that she deserved to have that AR-15. And I think that she is exactly the type of person who should be targeted by gun laws. Especially with the fact that she had a crazy psycho child. I mean, we've seen where that goes. We've seen all those kids shot and killed in Sandy Hook. So there's a mental health and well-being there, too. And I guarantee you, outlawing all guns in this country is not going to fix the mental health and well-being issue. Or making stricter gun controls, that's not going to stop a crazy person breaking into somebody's house and getting a legitimate registered gun owner's gun. And going nuts with that too. I think if we had tighter gun controls and things were outlawed, this crazy person would have only had a knife. They would have only killed three people instead of 15. How about think about this? Investing in mental health and wellness while making sure that person didn't have any access to any fucking firearms. So the mental health and wellness person who's, who's or nurse or whatever who's dealing with them can identify a problem before the person tries to break into somebody's house to steal somebody else's gun. Because they weren't allowed near a gun to begin with. So, yeah, I, I do believe that there should be certain new types of gun control. And I think the word tighter is a misnomer. Because when people say tighter, they talk about stop and frisk. And that's not working. It never worked. Old stop and frisk did was extend the concept of Pro on minority communities into the fucking 2000s.
Mental health affects everyone. And as an anthropologist, historical and social anthropologist, I know enough to know that the vast majority of our society and how it views and handles legally and socially mental health issues is pretty damn close to the worst fucking ranking first world country on this goddamn planet. Some third world countries have better programs than we do. Now, um, let, let me give some more examples. Like I, I gave example of uh, Rachel Dolezal as someone who had, who I believe may exhibit a form of mental disorder like Baron Munchausen's. And I don't really mean like Munchausen's by proxy. That's a different thing. I'm talking about like Baron Munchausen's, the, the actual thing where you tell stories and you believe they're true. Right? It's, it's like, it's more than just dementia, right? Because they do know that they're lying. Dementia people, they don't believe that they're lying. They believe they're telling the truth. Um, so let me give another example. Roseanne. Real easy to hate her, I know. Real easy to hate her. Real easy for the conservatives to hate her in the 90s. Real easy for the liberals to hate her in the 2010s. Yeah? Real easy. Woman had a lot of mental trauma in her life. A lot of real serious mental trauma. And with the drugs that she's taking, which actually do cause mental instability... You see stuff like what she posted on Twitter, stuff that's that's just out there. She's not the same person. You can just see that by the tweets, and even she realizes it. That's what's actually kind of sad about Roseanne. She realizes something's wrong with her. And despite what the drug companies want to claim, those drugs, side effects, they actually do cause real fucking problems. And which fucking uh, company was that? That said, our drug does not cause racism. Actually, it fucking is one of the uh, side effects of uh, random rage or whatever that was actually that, that's listed on the side effect for the drug. So all those super ultra liberals say, oh, see, it doesn't cause racism. I can't even remember if that was Roseanne or if that was someone else. Uh, I just remember that example. But yeah, it actually fucking can. It's literally what it says in their own goddamn side effects. And so intelligent pe people and, uh, you know, in, in the in journalists, they were retreating saying, uh, you're wrong. It actually can cause distorted thinking, which can result in racist behavior. Because that's what 
Racism is a form of distorted thinking and distorted thought patterns. It really is. And the distorted thought pattern can either be from fear, it can be from hatred, it could be from personal trauma, or it can be from a corrupted idea of scientific thought. When the Victorians, the Victorians were developing modern psychological medicine. You know, that entire era, I mean, the entire Victorian era, the 1800s, Sigmund Freud, you know, everyone, then you have, uh, that leads up into Kinsey in the, I believe he's in the 40s, 50s, that leads up through all of these things. You had people struggling to try and define scientific, mental progress, etc., etc., etc. Victorians, when they first started, they thought, I'm going to explain things scientifically. Then they did the, the whole racism thing. But while they're doing the racism thing, they built the building blocks, they built the foundation for disproving their own theories, which is science. You disprove the bad stuff. You come up with a bunch of ideas. A lot of them are fucking bad. A lot of them are racist. A lot of them are sexist. A lot of them are, are, are societal. Right? And they evolved past that. And they figured, oh, well, we found out. We found out because we explored those ideas. And those ideas proved to be bullshit. You know? Those ideas proved to be bullshit. But it's been a long, hard struggle with mental wellness and, and well-being. Mental health and well-being. General well-being. Got the fact, we're talking about theories and examinations and processes and society evolving in a 150-year period of human history, which has lasted centuries. And we've fallen back almost to... Too much. We've almost fallen back a full hundred years in our advancement in how we treat others because it's easier to mock than anything. And then you have psychologists that say, don't call them a lunatic because it's a misnomer and you're actually insulting them. Well, you know, here's the problem. Mental illness is ugly. R Roseanne Barr's statements were ugly and horrible. She's not really excused from them. Except at least she acknowledges something's wrong. Right? But then again, it may be her drug that she's taken. That uh, Ambien. Yeah, I believe that's what it was. Ambien. Or Ambien. Whatever, however you pronounce it. And then you have another ugly thing. Let's talk about, I'm, I'm just using white people right now. Or is Rachel Dolezal Ridley Bellack? I don't know. Anyway, I'm just using white people right now. Um, Mel Gibson. He had a mental break. 
You think mental breaks are cute and fun? You think it's like like what they put out there in the fucking TV shows? Oh, well, he's better now. It just happened once. And once your mind breaks, it's like, it's like imagine cutting a string and taping it together with scotch tape. That string's going to start coming apart all the time now. You got to make a new string. And he never made a new string. Doesn't mean anything that he did before his mental break is of lesser quality. Same thing with Roseanne. Her show is still the epic show that defined 90s. And mental health is one of the things that she covered on the show on a regular basis. And is incredibly important. And then the other aspect of mental health disorders is lying. Like kleptomania. Oh, Winona Ryder. Speaking of kleptomania, Winona Ryder. Blacklisted because she can't stop taking things. Girl's got a problem. She has the money. She kept taking things. She could pay for them. That's not healthy. Something is wrong. Doesn't mean she's a bad person. I mean, Mel Gibson, he's crazy. He's broken apart. I, I, essentially, the mental illness has turned him into a bad person. Essentially, it has. Nothing he said is excused. You know, when I say somebody has mental illness, I've been accused of giving people free pass. It's not what I'm saying at all. If you think saying somebody is mentally ill, that that gives them a free pass, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem because you don't understand that identifying a mental illness doesn't mean that a person has a free pass. It means that that person essentially does not exist. What you're speaking to is the illness. Think about all your favorite comic books and all your favorite TV shows where a person's mentally controlled and they do something horrible. Then they say, I'm sorry. And they say, don't, it wasn't you. It was Zordon from the planet Mars or whatever the fuck it is. Wait, was Zordon like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? I don't even, I don't fucking know. Anyway, yeah, my, Zordon taking control over people's brains. All right, so uh, that's a funny thought. Okay, so... You're all saying, oh, well, that's okay. They solved the problem. Okay, now think of mental illness like someone who is loving and caring and they're being controlled by the evil fucking Zordon who kidnaps young kids and plays dress-up dolls with them using uh, electric appliances. I'm sorry, that's just too funny. Anyway, so... Um, and that's my that's my problem. I break up my stuff with comedy a lot, and that that actually is kind of a, a problem with me. I joke when I shouldn't. Um, imagine that that person is being mentally controlled by a fucking alien on another planet, and that alien is in their body. 
that mental illness is the source of the problem. The person needs help. Here's the other problem. Person seeking help professionally, often ridiculed. You also have professionals who prey on the weak to keep getting money from them. Okay? That's another fucking problem. And I've seen a lot of people say, oh, his mental break just exposed the person he really is. Horrible and racist. Got news for you. That's something called the id. And in every human being, there is an id. There's even a fantastic movie based around monsters of the id. It's called Forbidden Planet. Not the Forbidden Planet, just Forbidden Planet. And those monsters on the most advanced society, those monsters came out of their dreams and destroyed everyone. The Krell. They were the most advanced society the galaxy had ever seen. Their own mental illness killed them. What an allegory for today, huh? We're, we're one of the most advanced societies that, that humanity has ever seen on planet Earth. Regardless of whether you believe in ancient aliens or any of that stuff, I don't. But regardless of what you believe about ancient societies or human societies, right now we are the most advanced society. Uh, in Britain, you're the most advanced society. United States, uh, Germany, Canada, Mexico. Um, India even, uh, Japan, um, Australia, bunch of lying, lying, thieving, thieves, beggars. Um, just kidding. I love you, Australia. I love you. You know, I do. I love you. We are the most advanced collective human, sorry, I'm stammering on my words. We're the most advanced human society. The earth has ever seen. Probably the most society that earth has ever seen. Period. I'd like to think that we are. And once again, depending on whether or not you believe on ancient aliens, I don't. Um, then again, we don't know whether or not the dinosaurs were really fucking brainiacs, you know? Little walnut brains actually like telekinetic and, you know, like flying gas orbs. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That would be that would be fucking amazing though. Anyway, God, that's a that's a story I need to write. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about other things. So we are the most advanced society this earth has ever seen. We're just like the fucking Krell. We're ignoring the mental illness. We're ignoring mental health. We're ignoring mental well-being. So we've got nothing but monsters of the id crawling around our society. And monsters of the id means that they are, they are part of us. All of us has a monster in their id or more. But the vast majority of us, the vast majority of us, they, we don't think about it because we don't go and say crazy shit like uh, Mel Gibson. We don't say crazy shit like Roseanne Barr. And I'm not mentioning Trump because he was a fucking monster. 
from the very beginning. He was always a monster. Um, you know, I think actually his mental illness may make him less of a monster, but that's another theory of mine. So the point is, these monsters, I'm not calling someone who's mentally ill a monster. They are subject to the monster that's deep in their psyche. If they don't have that monster controlled, if they don't have them reined in, what happened to the Krell is going to happen to us. That's why that movie is actually really important. And it happened in the 50s when it was talking about mental illness. That sci-fi flick isn't sci-fi because they fly in spaceships or have Robbie the Robot. That sci-fi is sci-fi because they're talking about psychology. The science of psychology and the human race. And the original story was The Tempest, which had nothing, no, no other science in it. So you could actually argue. You could legitimately argue. William Shakespeare wrote a sci-fi film. Because that's science. Psychology is science. People are abusing it. People are not paying attention to it. And before I go, I just want to wrap up by... Um, Mentioning some other pillars of society and, and, and another aspect of mental illness. Marketing preys upon mental manipulation. Everybody knows that. Producers prey on it. Uh, customers actually expect that. They want to feel their emotions manipulated by the show that they watch. And a show which does it well, which says... This is a suspension of, of belief, uh, which is a mental trick. The, your emotion will fall in love with this character, which is a mental trick. And people will use that in order to manipulate their audience for certain purposes. I know I do as a writer or as a creator. I try to do it to make things better so that I can... Connect you to me through a media that is safe where I could convey an idea to you. Regardless of what you think about me as a per person, if my idea is, a, is something that you can take out of it to make your life better and society better, then I want the best for you. Right? That's also why I like the writer that you know I had a disagreement with. He wanted to make a better society and he still does. Okay, so for some reason he hates my fucking guts. But, um, you know, I'm certain that I, when I was being blunt a few times, that was my, my whole fault right there. Well, I fucked that up. Same time he wasn't willing to understand. Oh, he fucked that up. But maybe as creators, in our own ways, we can also try and make society better for everybody around us. He's, he's, he has done his do job and he tries on his own to make society better for things that he believes. And that is awesome. And I think he has because he made my life better. He made my life better. Well, I want to do the same thing with my stuff. Another reason why you shouldn't 
get personal with people who are famous or people who have actually affected your lives because you don't know. You don't know if you're going to click. You know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Um, I've made some. I've made some amazing friends. People who are professional. They talk to me all the time. I mean, I actually believe we are friends. At least internet friends. You know, maybe not family close friends, but we are internet friends. That's kind of cool. And we've shown each other support. We've helped each other out. That's awesome. That's how you connect to people. Anyway, so um, Gene Roddenberry connected with people. And I'm going to tell you all of the social support things that that man did, regardless of how you feel about him on a personal level. All right. And everybody has issues. Stanley, amazing creator. He had some, he did some really bad things to people. They were just bad, but he did also make characters that are fucking amazing that have connected to people on deep personal levels. So let me tell you what Roddenberry did. Black woman in a command position on the USS Enterprise. I've heard assholes describe her as a glorified uh, operator. Fuck you all. She wasn't. Now, what Gene did was he he kind of pushed that image a little bit. Oh, well, she's just communications. And she sat there with a thing in her ear, like you would see for operators at AT&T. Making your life better, connecting you with people you need, right? But throughout the series, if you actually pay attention to her role, here's what he actually did. Major cast member, one. Two, command position. Little black girls looking up to her saying, I won't be like Uhura. She's on the bridge. She's actually commanding people. So that's what she was doing. Kirk said, Uhura, uh, status on all decks. Uhura, the source of information. Like the Oracle of Delphi. It's Delphi, not Delphi. Sorry. The Oracle of Delphi. Captain, I have this, this, and this. Purveyor of knowledge. Captain, I'm trying to connect with this Klingon vessel. We're trying to break through. We don't want, basically, we don't want a war. She's in charge of it. Captain, I'm decoding this message. I'm giving you critical information. Captain, I'm organizing rescue crews. She's saving people's lives. Sulu, at the helm. Mr. Sulu, evasive maneuvers. Mr. Sulu, aced it at the academy. Knows how to pilot that ship in order to save everybody's lives. Captain trusts him implicitly. He trusts Uhura implicitly. Chekhov, a Russian, a Russian character. Fuck the Cold War. Don't hate your neighbor. At the same time, Chekhov would make little digs. Apparently Russians, even after nuclear war, are still saying, I think a Russian invented that. Like, okay, yeah, fuck you, Chekhov. But that also shows camaraderie and ability to joke about the past, to joke about something where millions of people died. On their planet, a couple billion people died, you know, on, on Earth in their timeline. 
due to the to, to the rise of the you know the atomic horrors, the rise of the Superman, uh, eugenic Superman, and uh, stuff. Chekhov jokes, they joke, they love them, they accept them. They move past a horrific part in their history. That was demonstration that there is life after a Cold War. Spock, a man with an alien with a devil-like appearance, don't fear things. Don't fear things because they look different. And what was the message throughout that entire series? Klingons and, and humans, after a hot war, relatively hot war, into a cold war, very vicious cold war, um, Day of the Dove, laughing together. Kirk's son gets killed. Kirk has to save the lives of Klingons after he has been wrongfully uh, convicted. He had to escape. He had to say, I've been full of hate my entire life. People like me need to retire, basically is what he was saying. The undiscovered country was referring to peace and future. This is all throughout the series and throughout the what I consider to be the true Star Trek movies. And that's, um, it really carries off like, if you're going to watch the series, you have to go Space Seed, which was in the original series. Then Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3, Star Trek 4, then Star Trek 6, that's it. That's the whole storyline, right? Star Trek V deviated from the storyline enough that you can pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, William Shatner does. <laughs> anyway, um, the whole point of Star Trek. Look, the Horta. This is the Horta. It looks like a devil in the darkness. The episode title, Devil in the Darkness. Horta, killing people, random people. Um, Spock communicates, find out that the humans were actually killing the eggs of Horta. And so they work together. You know, the, the miners say, we're sorry, ma'am. We didn't mean to kill your babies. Horta says, yeah, well, I killed a few of the miners too. Okay, well, we got to end this. I miss people. You miss your babies. Got to put that behind us. Okay, Spock Mind melts, people make fun of it, but it's got a very important message. You know? Roddenberry was telling stories. He was being a purveyor of mental console to everybody who watched that series and stuck with the movies. He did the same thing with Next Generation. That's what these Star Trek series are about. Voyager... That's all about being a sort of comfort purveyor, a pillar of the community, conveying critical ideas and thoughts to help people through the day, to help people resolve issues in real life, to help people know that there is another way. And the worst fucking thing I heard from anybody's mouth came from Joss Whedon's mouth, where he said, they shouldn't be afraid to kill off their characters. The characters had plot armor for a reason. Because it wasn't important if they lived, 
or died in the idea that they need to die to show reality. You know, they were conveying allegory to the audience. That is what the movies were about. Asshole. God, calling Joss Whedon an asshole 15 years ago would have gotten me butchered. Actually, did earn me a, a stalker for a couple of weeks. Uh, well, I, I don't know if you can call him a stalker, but a harasser. But he really was. And he kept pushing that narrative. You have to kill the main character. You have to bond somebody to a main character and kill them in order to make them feel. Listen, buddy, if all you can do to make somebody feel anything is to pull that dirty trick, get the fuck out of making shit. Get the fuck out of Star Wars. Get the fuck out of anything like that that's meant to teach a lesson. Because when you start killing off main characters, you distract the audience, emotionally speaking, from the purpose of the allegory. It isn't that someone is afraid to kill the main character. It's that they know if they kill a main character in the middle of telling an allegory, it fucks everything up. The only times that Star Trek killing a main character has worked was Wrath of Khan because Spock came back and then David got killed. And it was all about Kirk's punishment, essentially, or the risks that Kirk takes when he trusts other people. A lot of people try and say Kirk is a cowboy who just goes on half-cocked, all phasers on kill. He's actually not. I think I've seen him do phasers on kill half as often as phasers set to stun. Let's not kill the other person. Kirk was always about peace and killing people was like the worst thing that he believed that anyone could do. As much as he hated the Klingons, he had to rescue the Klingon Empire. And he only attacked to kill Klingons when there was no other choice. And in Undiscovered Country, he attacked to kill those Klingons because they were threatening the lives of humans and Klingons together. Of intelligent people who have thoughts and feelings and emotions. That's what he did. Hell, he went back in time to save fucking humpback whales. And so does what Kurtzman do when he gets in charge of the series. He makes the series about the actual people and not the stories. And for all of Kurtz's amazing feats, people usually ignore, uh, you know, like, Kirk's place in that they say oh well Kirk is this this he does this but did you remember that episode the episode involved this this and this yet if you look at Kirk's dialogue he was helping that allegory of the episode that people remember so the episode was what was important oh the the gas miners yeah that, that was about uh, a super intelligent people putting pressure mental physical a social on lower classes to keep them stupid, to keep them impoverished, to keep them as slaves. 
Kirk didn't, I don't remember Kirk killing anybody in that episode. It wasn't about the crew of the Enterprise. It was about the story that they told. So why is this important? Because people have changed it, like Kurtzman. They now make it about the crew. And the only way to make it about the crew is if you keep telling the same tired old love triangles. Oh, we're going to kill this guy this week. We're going to kill this guy this week. What is this guy going to do? Is he a traitor? What, what the fuck is that? That's not allegory. That's not storyline. That's not mental health and wellness. That's not the reason why Star Trek was created. You just want to create eye candy. And you want to ruin everything that came before you in order to kill off characters because you think, well, it gets the views. Except it fucking doesn't, now does it? And then suddenly people are conservative and they hate Star Trek because they're Republicans? Fuck you. I'm a die-hard progressive. Don't lump me in with that shit. You just don't like the bad reviews because you're mishandling the property. Same thing with Jar Jar Abrams. Hi, Jar Jar. Yeah, it's me who helped start that nickname about you 10 years ago. So, Jar Jar. Jar Jar Abrams talking about how he finally made Star Trek cool. And yet he doesn't have the ticket sales that can compete with the motion picture or Wrath of Khan. The actual physical t ticket sales of Wrath of Khan, still 20% more than... Into the Darkness. The inflated value made at the theater was inflated because of IMAX. By the laws of population increase, Jar Jar Abrams should have made 50% more in ticket sales alone. And that's because he wanted to make hollow stories about the characters and not about the allegory or what was important to convey to the audience. He wanted lens flares. He wanted lasers. And that's fine eye candy. But it's not what Star Trek is. The Orville, that's actually Star Trek. And a lot of people who, who hate the Orville also hate the original series. They find Next Generation boring. They never got into Voyager. Then you're not a fucking Star Trek fan. Oh, I like the movies. Which one? Well, I thought 5 was pretty good, and I really liked Insurrection. Those movies were fucking shit. Only thing they have in common? Lasers. Actually, 5 was pretty fucking boring, too. So, um, it was boring and bad. But, uh, that's the whole point. And there was a marketing study that was done out there about how brands connect and want to connect and want to connect deeply with a person. And when a person sees something harmful happen to the brand, they feel like it's harming themselves emotionally because it is harming themselves emotionally. All right. 
So when people like Kurtzman and Jar Jar Abrams start fucking around with the messages and they remove the messages, they remove the allegories, it starts pissing people off. And a lot of people, they don't understand what they're pissed off about. So you have some diehard conservatives and racists saying, black man shouldn't be stormtrooper. Or they have um, misogynists saying, a woman Jedi. I'm sorry, dude, but George Lucas himself had women Jedi and he approved of Mara Jade 22 fucking years ago or more. It's more than that. It's like almost almost 30 years ago now. He approved of Mara Jade. Now, the problem is Jar Jar Abrams set out to kill every single one of the characters as he had stated he planned to do, as his contract leak stated he planned to do. They just flipped the movies on which characters died when. I still have my Facebook post where I talk about that. Like, 2011. And, uh, it all came to pass. He pissed people off because he harmed the brand. He removed the allegory from the first three movies. And the allegory was everything according to Lucas, who created the first three movies. And to Joseph Campbell, who was actually consulting with Lucas on the last two movies. And I see people who are employed by Disney at various levels say, I see people are just upset with the movies because they imagine something in their own minds that wasn't really on the screen. No, 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 no. They're referring to the actual fucking interviews with the people who created Star Wars. And Jar Jar Abrams bragged about dismantling it and trying to replace it with his own. But when he replaced it, he didn't have any substantive stories to replace it with because it was about the allegory. Same thing with Star Trek and Kurtzman. It was about the allegory. And Jar Jar Abrams got that fucked up too with his movies because he didn't get the allegory of why Khan was so important. Benedict Cumberbun, um, I'm sorry, I love Benedict, but <laughs> I'm just going to make fun of his name. Uh, Benedict says, I'm Khan. Sorry, that was another message. You probably picked that up. That buzz buzz was from me, not from your phone. Who the fuck is Khan? Khan is no one to Kirk at this point. Khan is a nobody. Khan was important to Kirk because Khan represented the allegory of Kirk giving a tyrant the ability to rule a planet on his own while leave, while leaving. That tyrant was going to come back for Kirk because anything that Kirk did was now his responsibility no matter what. In some extent, the tyrant was right. Kirk abandoned the tyrant to a horrible, horrible life. And Kirk wound up paying for it without realizing what he had initially done. This is, you know, after, that's after Khan escaped being tried and convicted for horrible war crimes 200 or so years earlier. Or 300 years earlier. I can't even remember. Whenever the, whenever the Superman uh, left, right before the atomic horrors. And then Kirk has to deal with the, the death of Spock as a result of his, his own failure. Spock had to deal with Kirk's failure by making his choice of sacrificing himself for the crew, living to his ideals. That's all about the Vulcans believing sacrifice of one to support the many 
brings you know brings prosperity, etc. Spock had to make that sacrifice for his friends and for people he didn't even know. And then you have Kirk saying, "I'm not going to let this happen," and Kirk's going over to rescue Spock and his son and Dr. Marcus's son pays for rescuing Spock because of actions of both of his parents. Dr. Marcus created a weapon. No matter what she tried to delude herself into believing what she did, it was a weapon. The Genesis Project was a weapon. And then Kirk kills the the Klingons and then blows up his own ship. This ship has to die. The, The ship was basically his wife. He was married to that ship. And the ship was basically the daughter of Scotty. She was taken care of and raised by Scotty. And then Kirk has to use a Klingon vessel in order to rescue the future, which foreshadows the ideas that that even though the Klingons just finished killing off a bunch of people, that the Klingons are still the future of the, of the Federation. Both of them have to survive for both of them to prosper. They rescue the humpback whale, something that was killed off by humanity. And then they have to deal with uh, Klingons trying to frame Kirk to bring up his past racism, his past hatred, and Kirk has to face that past racism for the good of everyone. He has to grow. Other people have to grow because he's put on trial. So every person like Kirk has to has to learn from that allegory uh, or just storytelling. At this point, it's not really an allegory. It's flat-out storytelling. And Kirk has to realize the error of everything all begins and ends with tyrants. But even then, he starts to make the right decision. He does. Klingon survive. Humanity survives. Federation goes on. Klingon Empire lives. A lot of it's Kirk-centric, but there's so much more to it. I'm running out of time, actually. It's going to be the end of the podcast. There's so much more to discuss about mental health and well-being. But that's why Roddenberry and Star Trek was so important, because they taught lessons using the characters. The characters, if they died, they couldn't learn a lesson. And if they didn't learn a lesson, then nobody else could learn a lesson with them. And Jar Jar Abrams and Kurtzman just, they don't give a fuck about any of that. They don't understand. And I don't think they ever will. I think that there is something that is deeply wrong with them that they can't ever understand. So that's my discussion of mental health and well-being. I think I've covered everything that I could ever cover in any podcast. I hope all of you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Take care.